You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Well, good morning, guys. Good morning. It's fun to get the response. Uh, (laughs) If we've never had the privilege of meeting, my name is Ryan Oaks, and, and I have the honor and pleasure of serving as the student minister here. Um, honestly, after Jared sharing Isaiah 43 and that round of worship, I'm like, I, let's be dismissed. We're good to go. Um, Jared pretty much preached a sermon, so uh, we're good to rock and roll, guys. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I hope and pray that, uh, that God would just would show his love to you this morning through this passage as he has for me. Um, so if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that John introduced a new series, Good Trouble, um, and then he decided to go to Greece and take some people with him, which is, which is great. And so uh, Drew, our college pastor last week, got to teach on who sits on the throne. And by the Spirit's work only today, we're going to focus on the question, who is God? But what I really want you guys to hear today is that John's still gone. It's complete anarchy. We have only so many hours remaining without leadership. So we've got bounce houses out there we've got don't okay I'm just I'm just kidding guys I I have to not be a student minister this morning um, but I'll try to keep things as fun and hip and cool and relevant for you today Uh, so as we as we dive in this morning uh, you know like I said we're going to focus on that question who is God and and the reality is is that how we how we view God it, it affects the way we live our lives let me explain it to you uh, this way. You see, we, we like to understand things. It's only natural that when we face something that we don't get, we, we seek to understand it. So uh, I'll describe it this way. You guys know I work with teenagers, which means nothing but the fact that I'm very cool, I'm very hip, I'm relevant. So I've got a little bit of teen culture translation for you guys this morning. Um, these are a few terms that, uh, that I've learned in my time in working with teenagers, um, some slang, if you will. So uh, if you're a parent of a teenager, this is the time to take notes. Uh, this is what your kids are saying. The first one, first term's real easy. It's cap. Uh, sometimes said no cap. Most of you are like, oh yeah, ball cap. I get it. Totally. Uh, no, uh, it's not that simple. Um, cap actually, uh, it actually means lie or most often used when people say no cap, they mean no lie. It's it's the same amount of syllables as saying no lie. I don't understand. So, so there's that one. That one's easy. Okay. This one's a little more difficult. This word is Stan. Most of you are thinking like, yeah, like a name. No, Uh, no, not like a name. Uh, it's actually, uh, it actually is most often used as Taylor Swift stands. Um, and, and even if that doesn't make sense to you, I, I have a direct quote defining this. It says, Stan is a mix between stalker and fan. So bear with me. So it's like being really obsessed with something, but not in a creepy way. I, yeah, we'll go on to the next one. Um, the next one is ship. You're like, yeah, like a boat floats on water, like a cargo ship. Totally. That is what it means. That's not what they use it for. Uh, ship means I support something or I'm in on that. I don't know. Uh, the last one, honestly, is kind of cool. It's receipts. 
You know, it's like that piece of paper you get when you, when you like make a purchase. Um, but except for, you know, you guys are, you're figuring it out. That's not what they use it for. Um, but it is similar. It's kind of cool. Uh, it actually just means show me the proof. So it's pretty close. So like if I were to come to you and say, yesterday I made a sweet half court shot, you would respond to me with receipts. And I guess you feel cooler by saying receipts instead of, oh, prove it. Who knows? Guys, these are the teens that, that I work with. Um, most of these make absolutely no sense on their own, unless you, of course, use them as they are defined. Um, and so you have to use them in a sentence, right? We have to, we have to use context clues uh, to figure them out, right? Uh, I definitely had to do this when I first heard these words. And essentially, once you've done that, you're left wondering, what in the world is wrong with the teenagers of our day? But that's another conversation. The real reason that I bring this up today is because uh, when, when we're faced with things we don't understand, we often do everything we can to break it down uh, into smaller pieces. We put it into terms that we understand. And more and more today, I think this is what we do with God. You see, God is something we simply cannot fathom. We can't even begin to understand him. But as humans, we try to break him down into terms so that we can know him and understand him and describe him as such. Pastor John mentioned a quote by Martin Luther a couple weeks ago. He said that our thoughts of God are too human. The reality is it's, it's not up to us to come up with our view of God. Scripture defines that. God defines that. You see, when we submit to the truth of Scripture and see God as he is meant to be seen, our lives will be forever changed. And that's my prayer this morning. That today, God would remind us of who he is. And we would know him more deeply as a result. And so if you have your own copy of God's word with you this morning, uh, Jared already said it, we're gonna be Isaiah 43. You can turn there now. And once you get there, I'd ask that you just bow your heads and pray with me this morning. Oh, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the fact that we do get to gather together as a church body and we get to, to be encouraged. We get to sing songs that are just, just full of your scripture, full of your truth. Lord, and now we get to dive into your word. And there's a promise in Isaiah that says your word will not return void. So I pray that that would be true today. Would your spirit move in our hearts today? Lord, and ultimately would all of us fall more deeply in love with you as a result. So be with us this morning. We love you and it's in your son's name we pray, amen. Okay, so before we read, I think it's only proper that I give you guys some context. You know, when Jared said the student ministers in be Isaiah, there were some people like, whoa, Old Testament prophet, this guy, he's feeling confident. Um, here's the reality, the book, the book of Isaiah is a very, very long book. Um, it's 66 chapters and it is in the Old Testament and it is written by a prophet. So the timing of this is uh, when uh, Israel was in the kingdom period 
And as a nation, they split into two separate nations. You had the northern tribes that formed Israel, and you had the southern tribes that formed Judah. So in this current moment that Isaiah is writing, uh, the, the tribe of Israel, right, the northern tribes is being overtaken by the Assyrian Empire. And so Isaiah is written to the people of Judah. And the book can really be broken down into three sections, but ultimately it's, it's God's message of indictment and then his promise of redemption. So in the first 35 chapters of the book of Isaiah are prophecies of, of judgment for their sin. And then there's this little short story in the middle, chapters 36 through 39, really fascinating to read on King Hezekiah's reign. And then finally, Isaiah closes with, with chapters 40 through 66, which ultimately are prophecies of comfort to God's people. And so that's where we'll find ourselves this morning. And in particular, Isaiah 43, but the, Isaiah 43 starts with the words, but now. So I can't help but go back to chapter 42 just to truly understand where are we in, in what Isaiah is saying. And so if you look at chapter 42, the last seven verses of that chapter are verses recounting Israel's failure to walk in God's way their failure to walk in his ways, that they are just repetitively stubborn and they don't respond to God's correction. So now you're like, all right, you read those verses and you're like, sweet, chapter 43, here we go. God's really gonna let his people have it. He's gonna get them for, for all their failures. But instead he says, but now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. And this is what I like to call shepherding the moment. Um, God takes this opportunity right here. I mean, right when we think God is like, all right, here we go. The Israels continue to sin. They continue to fail. They never respond to his correction. He's going to let them have it. He responds with this deep love and care. In the midst of their rebellion, God reminds him, them of who he is. So who is God? The first thing he says, God is our creator. He says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. God has a special and unique claim on his creation. For man, like truly for man to forget God as our creator is to simply fail at the most basic obligation man has to God, to forget that he is our creator. And you might be wondering, okay, well, why is that important to the Israelites? What's the timeless truth for us today? I believe the true value of this, of this point, of this truth, of this, of this who God is as our creator is found in Genesis 1, verses 26 through 27. Many of you may have heard it before, but it says, Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's obviously plenty we can unpack in this scripture, but the reality is that God as our creator establishes his authority over his creation. He intentionally designed each of us. He intentionally designed each of us equal in value and unique in roles. Equal in value, unique in roles in his image. And understanding who man is, right? Truly understanding our identity, truly knowing who we are is it starts by knowing that we are made in the image of God. We are quite literally different from every single other thing God created because we are made in his image, in his likeness. And so if God is our creator, then we have value. Hear me say that God is your creator, you have value. And if God is your creator, then he surely won't forsake the work of his hands. You see, knowing our value in relation to God as our creator is one of the most valuable sources of identity we can ever find. Knowing our value in relation to God as our creator is one of the most valuable sources of identity we can ever find. Let me make sense of that. Let's take the story of Eve, right? Not too, not too much further in Genesis and chapter three. Right, the serpent comes to Eve in the garden and they had this one command that they could do anything they wanted, eat of anything they wanted except for the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Satan comes to Eve in the form of a serpent and he, and he causes her to doubt who God is and God's word, right? He twists God's words and he says, did God really say? And he snags her attention with a temptation that she will be like God. Because that, that is a desire of man. That is the, the sinful root of man is that we wanna be like God in our control. We wanna be in control of our own lives. But the reality and the beauty of God being our creator is that we are made in his image. We are like God in his likeness, in his character. And so when we go to this story in Genesis 3 where Satan comes to Eve and he says, for God knows that when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now Eve could respond, that's ridiculous. I was made in his image. I'm already like God, created to glorify him. Boom, done, next page. That's the value we have 
when being created in the image of God meant to image forth God to creation in his likeness. It's that simple. God created you. You are his, you have value. And that is God's reminder for the Israelite and for us today that God created you, you are his, and you have value. So much value that God is also our redeemer. Verse one, later on, he says, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. This is beautiful. See, the word redeemed implies to be purchased from something to something. Now, the Israelites most often remember this picture of God as their redeemer in the Exodus story, when he saved them, when he delivered them from 400 years of slavery to Egypt. But what we know to be true is that this passage foreshadows an even greater redemption that we know to be true today. See, so often he looked at the Israelites, he rescued them, paid paid their price, the debt they couldn't know. And but how much more now today Will God care for those redeemed by the blood of his own son? All the acts of God delivering his people from bondage in the Old Testament are simply a temporary redemption. They are pictures towards a more perfect redemption, a more perfect deliverance from Jesus today. And if you haven't heard that message before, then let me tell it to you now. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. As a result of that, we are separated from God. We cannot have relationship with God because he is holy and perfect. But God created you, you have value, and he loves you. And so he offers redemption. Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption in Christ Jesus. So today, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, fully man, fully God, live a perfect sinless life, died a torturous death on the cross, was buried and raised to life three days later so that you and I may have relationship with him. You are redeemed And why does that matter? Because God has called you by name and you are his. God's ownership as our redeemer is both personal and certain. It is personal and certain. God has set us apart for himself, calling us by name, establishing a relationship with us. We are his and this ownership is an incredible ownership to sit under It shows a level of concern for those who are his own. Romans 5 pictures it beautifully. It says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. This scripture means so much to me. I don't know if you've considered this, but I mean, it's one thing to consider that Jesus died for me, for you. Like to know that when you were in total rejection, total rebellion, Jesus died for you as a sinner. 
That's amazing. In fact, it is a truth so significant that you should base your life on it. But have you considered the significance of where we are now? Right now, if you're a believer in Christ, you've been saved right? Every moment after salvation, we are aware of who Christ is for us. And yet, even when we know something is wrong, we still do it. We still sin today. Even when we know it's sin, we still sin today, even knowing who Christ is. I have the knowledge of who Christ is, and I marvel at what he's done. And yet, still, I sin. But Paul says much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? It's in these moments that we get to remember all that God did for his enemies. And so we get to conclude, man, how much more will he do for his family? God says to you, believer, fear not, my child. You have been redeemed. You are a part of my family. You are mine. God created you. You're his. You have value so much so that God redeemed you by the blood of his son, Christ. He knows you by name. His claim on you is secure and you are adopted into his family. Praise God. So now what? What does that mean, right? Well, let's go back to where we started. You remember when I gave you the context of, of the last seven verses of chapter 42, uh, all, the, all the ways that the, the Israelites were failing, um, how did God respond? Did he respond in anger? No. Disownership? No. Disappointment? Surely, right? Like surely God was disappointed. No. He responds by reminding them who he is. And then he continues in verse two saying, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. I will be with you. In any circumstance, we can be encouraged that God would not have created and redeemed us unless he intends to finish his work in us. Wherever you are today, facing financial trouble, marriage hardship, the loss of someone close to you, maybe there's a diagnosis you've received that you're scared of, God has created and redeemed you and he will finish the work in you. And he will be with you through it through it. So here's the reality. Might be like, yeah, Ryan, student ministers, like that all sounds good and true, uh, but it's hard. I hope you hear me say this morning, it's hard. It is. But I promise you, and I hope to remind you today of what I have to remind myself of every day, it's worth it. It's worth it to remember who God is in every circumstance. It's worth it to let scripture define who God is in his own terms. Because that God, the God of the Bible, he changes lives. 
and he can change how we live every single day in this broken world. And so to close today, I'd love to leave you with a personal story. And the reality is God's done a number of things in my life, but I have recently gotten to watch a family very close to me walk through fire, walk through the rivers, walk through the challenges. And their story has blessed and encouraged me. And I, and I pray that it would do the same today. And so on the screen, you'll see, I want you to meet the Hill family. That's Sean, Emily, Harper on the ground, and then little Annie in Sean's hands. Uh, Sean Hill was uh, my old boss at the church I used to work at. Uh, he was actually my wife and I's wedding officiant. And I could stand before you today that Sean is a very dear friend and mentor of mine. And I got to, to, to see this family up close. You'll notice in this picture that Emily is pregnant. She's pregnant with their third child. But they found out in February of 2021 that Mia Hill, their child to be born, was diagnosed with anencephaly. Anencephaly is a serious birth defect in which a baby is born without parts of their brain and skull. And there's no known cure or standard treatment for anencephaly. Almost all babies born with it will die shortly after birth. Emily said, the biggest prayer we prayed from the day we received Mia's diagnosis was that Mia would be born alive and that we would have time with her. There were moments we felt confident the Lord might answer that prayer with a yes. And there were times I felt crazy for praying for something that felt so unlikely based on what we knew. But after Mia was born, we felt so giddy that God had given us the yes we'd wanted so desperately. And that yes came in the form of hearing Mia's first cry. It took all of them back, they said, uh, but it was the sweetest sound you'd ever heard. Sean said, immediately not knowing how much time we had with her, we took turns holding her, we talked to her, and we gazed at our little girl. Seeing her in Emily's arms, Sean says that he struggled to explain all the emotions he felt during that time. But more than anything, it was just sweet. And when he got to hold her, it was just peaceful, he said. Their two girls, Harper and Annie, got to spend an hour and a half of Mia's life with her, giving her big sister hugs and kisses. They got to sing family songs with her. They each got to pick out a book and, and read it to her. And they even got to have a tea party and sing happy birthday, which obviously resulted in a cupcake, cupcake celebration and their stains all over Mia's onesie. Mia's name means mine. It means mine. And they chose that name from Isaiah 43.1. Sean and Emily, they had a deep trust in God. They had a deep trust that Mia was God's creation, God's child, a deep trust that any time with her was a gift. That Mia herself was a gift. And in the midst of one of the most 
challenging seasons that family was born. One of the most challenging things Sean and Emily will likely ever go through, they clung to who God is so that they could remember who Mia is. Mia is is God's creation. I won't be able to sum it up any better than they did. And so I'm gonna read a direct quote from Sean. He said, some of Mia's last moments were just us telling her about her sisters and her family. We watched her take her last breath. There was sorrow in those moments. And yet what we've reflected about in the weeks after is also how much peace and joy there was as well. There was nothing more we could do, but by God's grace, we felt this sense of having cared for her life, not perfectly, but as faithfully as we could by his grace. And that stuck with us, he says. He said, it made us want to chase that same sense with Harper and Annie and in every relationship. Mia's life, God willing, has encouraged me, Sean, to be a better dad, a husband and friend. So we said it that day and we've said it many times since, even now we have so much more to be thankful for than to be bitter about. Mia spent the last couple hours of her life the way she spent the first couple, in the arms of her parents who will spend the rest of their lives remembering and cherishing her and honoring and affirming the dignity her life has until they meet her again on the other side of this life in eternity. And they write, we are more confident than ever that just because Mia's life was short, it was by no means small. And here I am almost four months later sharing her story to people that don't even know her. So whatever you're going through today, remember who God is. Remember his steadfast character. Remember that God is your creator and you have value. You have so much value that he redeemed you. He sent his son to live a perfect sinless life, to die on a cross on your behalf so that you and I might have a relationship with him today. And you guys stand as I close in prayer this morning. Lord, thank you for this story. Thank you for the Hill family. Thank you for the way that you change lives. And it's true from the moment you made us that we were made in your image. We were made to represent you to your creation. That's what the Hill family's done for us. Father, and you have reminded us this morning that you've created and redeemed us, Father. And so I pray that we would walk out of this building today knowing that to be true and being reminded of your promise that you will be with us through whatever we face, Lord, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. As we sang earlier, one day, God, in Eden, you will make all things new. So Father, we pray eagerly for that day. And we pray humbly that you will help us to live faithfully until then. 
We love you, God, and we pray this all in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.